Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I always think it's valuable to have a conversation with people you don't always see eye to eye with, especially if there's a mutual respect there. So um, I was in favor. I like the ESA expansion. Uh, Beth Lewis, Save Our Schools, Arizona, said not so much. So now I'm not uh, I'm not averse. I have no problem with this new hotline for parents to call in at the Arizona Department of Education. And joining us now once again is Beth. Beth Lewis from Save Our Schools, Arizona. Uh, tell me why it's a bad thing, Beth. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, you know, I mean, the hotline is the hotline. At this point, it's just a ridiculous distraction. I mean, it, the point is to drive attacks against teachers, but the reality is that Arizona parents, as you know, love and support our teachers. So Mr. Horn is getting thousands of calls and emails. Um, 99.9% of them are in support. So, yeah, but, I mean, uh, I guess he's finding that out, but, but it's a bad use of taxpayer resources. Okay, so uh, let me break that down a little bit. First of all, we know that a lot of those phone calls that are coming into the hotline are being promoted by the AEU, the Arizona Educated United. You go to their Facebook pages. They're putting the number up there. They're telling their members to block up the call line and just tie up the line. I have one of the messages from a guy named Larry the other day that was telling other educators to do exactly Exactly that. That's not exactly a fair thing to do either. I mean, it's called the Empower Hotline. It doesn't say who's empowered. Fair I enough. don't know about teachers. I'm mostly hearing parents that are calling, to be honest. And, you know, it, it kind of is the question right now, which parents are supposed to be empowered? It seems like Mr. Horn and a lot of majority lawmakers don't want public school parents to be empowered. But we're 92% of the population, right? 92% of families are choosing public, district, right. and charter schools. And we think our teachers are doing an awesome job and if you're going to put up a hotline we're going to tell you about it you know Fair enough, and I think that's a, that, that is fair, but you, would you agree with me? Let me make my case. Every company that I know of has a customer service line. If you go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience with somebody on the wait staff and you ask for the manager and you have a bad experience with the manager, you then go over their heads and you try to get the corporate office or you get somebody else. So you, now, some of those complaints are illegitimate. We understand that, but shouldn't there be an avenue for parents if they don't feel like they're getting satisfaction from the teacher or the principal – have an avenue where they can go over their heads and try to get relief somewhere else. Sure. I mean, we know that that's set up within the district, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I just think the way it's being promoted is clearly, you know, a way for people to attack. And it's just it's not working out that way. But at the same time, I mean, it is a distraction when there are real issues. I mean, teachers are leaving the classroom. I don't see what Mr. Horn is doing to solve that crisis. Um, You know, Arizona kids need a lot more resources. We need social emotional learning. That's one of the things that he's asking parents to sort of snitch on. And I've called and I've said, yeah, my kids are learning social emotional lessons. And, you know, that means that they're learning how to make friends and how to be assertive and not aggressive. And, um, you know, those are lessons that our kids really need. So it's just such a weird misuse of taxpayer dollars when we have so many real issues facing our public schools. And I think he knows that. Uh, Beth Lewis is joining us. She is the executive director of Save Our Schools Arizona. Um, When it comes to social emotional learning, uh, would Would you concede that there are some teachers that are using it inappropriately? 
No, I mean, not that I've ever seen. And I think it's been so mischaracterized on the Internet, like so many things these days. I mean, there are great curriculums out there that districts have adopted that have nothing to do with, I don't, I don't know, whatever the Internet's saying. It's mostly, you know, how to be a really good person, how to make friends, how to understand yourself, how to, like, name your emotions and regulate yourself. A lot of it is um, life skills like meditation or taking initiative or being flexible, being patient with yourself and others, all things that I would argue, you know, kids need and frankly, a lot of adults could use, you know, we all need to learn to be the best humans that we can be and that's what it is. So, you know, I I just think it's a huge distraction and it's ridiculous that he's going around the country pushing vouchers when the reality is he's not even serving those families. So even if we are on different sides in terms of whether we think sending hundreds of millions of dollars to like, you know, homeschool purchases and baby grand pianos is a good idea. The fact is he's supposed to administer that program and ESA parents are furious with him right now because he's he's not approving any of their expenditures. He's making it absolutely impossible to use that program. They're waiting four hours for their help desk and not getting any of the help they need while he's propping up a teacher's niche line and misusing those taxpayer resources. So at this point, no kids are getting what they need, whether it's a voucher kid, a charter kid, a district kid. Mr. Horn doesn't seem to care. He's touring the country talking about how great the voucher program is, which, you know, it's not rolling out well. And we've got a mess on our hands, and he doesn't seem to acknowledge that. All right, so two things in response to that, just from my perspective. One is one has nothing to do with the other, that the school district has the, or the school, the uh, Department of Education has the ability to have a person answering phones on the hotline and address the issues you're talking about with the voucher program. But when it comes to the vouchers, they're, when it comes to the vouchers, they propose some changes. And so some of those changes are, are coming. Do you, did you see some of the proposed changes and do you think some of them are good ideas? Yeah, good question. I mean, first of all, it is a staffing issue. I know they're completely understaffed in the ESA department, so if they're pulling staff for a snitch hotline, that is really offensive to those ESA parents, I believe. Um, The ESA parents are furious with the changes that Horn is proposing because they're removing the debit card option. Now, the debit card is what makes it tenable and usable for low-income families who can't float thousands of dollars on credit cards for therapies and you know, a lot of these parents have been using the program for years as special education parents, and now they can't use the program because it's been expanded to 50,000 kids, and nobody knows how to administer the program with any sort of accountability to taxpayers, um, and they haven't even funded it. The legislature hasn't even figured out how to fund the program. Well, you know, and I have uh, family members that are using the ESAs in special education and have been for a few years, and they have yeah. had no they've had no problem with the program. They love the program, but I... I will agree with you on this. If they are going to try to get rid of the debit cards, I think it's going to be a huge issue for lower income families. And I hope there's a way to navigate around that because if they get rid of those cards, that's going to be a big problem. So we do agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it, it, Mr. Horn is not responsible for whether the program stays or how it's funded. He's responsible for administering it. And I do think taking away debit cards would be a terrible disservice. They're also talking about watering down certification requirements to just a high school diploma. So the way it stands now, the state board said, well, you, you know, if you're teaching core subjects and taking state dollars, like you need to at least have a degree in the subject or some sort of real certification in the subject. And Mr. Horn is throwing that out the window and saying, nah, you just need a high school diploma. And 
And, you know, the state board talks about all of these, you know, great regulations for Arizona teachers, making sure that we have quality instructors in the classrooms. And I agree with that. And I don't know why we're not also doing that for our voucher students. And and so for the voucher students, and this is where I'm not an educator, you are. But I got to say, I wouldn't think that there would be an issue with somebody that has a high school diploma helping an elementary school child with reading or with simple math. I don't know that that's why is that a problem? If it's if it's somebody we're not talking about algebra and geometry. We're talking about kids that may be struggling with this simple math at the basics and the basic reading levels. No, I mean, this is their core instruction. This is not just like a simple after-school tutoring, right? And that's where tutoring in the ESA program is the core instruction. So that's all the math that they're receiving. And their parents are paying this person to adequately teach that math. And as an elementary school math teacher, like that is something that requires a deep level of knowledge. And that's why we, you know, make sure that our teachers in district schools and charter schools know what they're doing. And just having a high school diploma does not cut it. I mean, you know, teaching is a profession. It's a pedagogy. It's a science. It's yeah. not just nice people sitting down and saying one plus one. Um, and this is also true for high school. It is true for algebra. That would You would only need to have a high school diploma to teach high school algebra to a student in the ESA program under Mr. Horn's new changes. And I think that that's really dangerous. And if we have a lot of these kids that don't get what they need and then have to come back to the public school and are years behind, that is going to be a huge burden on the system and really, really sad for these kids. Yeah, and I, and I'm, I'm going very late because I think this is such a compelling conversation. But I think the reason why there's been the expansion of the voucher program, with all due respect to what's going on in the public schools, it's because kids have fallen so far behind that kids are not reading at grade level. They're not performing math skills at grade level. They're not getting what they need in the public schools. And the numbers are showing that. And I think that's why parents are looking for alternatives. But I agree with you. If it's not a viable alternative, then what's the point? But I still think that parents need to have an alternative. Sure. And and we can talk all day about this, but I I think one of the things that the public doesn't really understand is that these tests don't necessarily like they talk about proficiency in reading, but I've administered these tests for, you know, over a decade and I've seen A, how much harder the tests have gotten. B, we've had four different tests in the last seven years. <laughs> Teachers are constantly pivoting and trying to stay up on what the test is even gonna be. And they don't test proficiency in reading. Like a third grade student who can read really, really well and sit down with me and understand the reading can't necessarily hop onto a computer, read two passages that each take them 10 minutes and then answer 20 questions comparing the two passages with very, very, very complicated questions. Um, And I would actually... I would really be interested to see if a lot of adults would would score proficiently on some of these tests. I should um, I should take one of those tests if you just keep the results between us. I know. I'll send you a sample test. Okay. Honestly, I mean, I can send it to your email. They're hard, and right. it doesn't. And you can it grade it. You can grade it, your... redline it, and give me a big smiley face, <laughs> and then we'll talk about it next time. I, I okay, listen. I I, I am so late on this segment because it's such a compelling conversation. I want to have you back again. Thanks for the time today, and we'll do this again soon. Thank you, Mike. All right. All thank right. you. Sounds good. That is Bye. Beth Lewis from Save Our Schools Arizona. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk more about the border. So please stick around for that. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app.
And remind you, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers Billy Joel, Stevie Nicks, heading to Chase Field one night only on the same stage. It happens December 8th. Tickets go on sale Friday at 10 a.m., but you could possibly win a pair of tickets. Go to the contest page at KTAR.com. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, 935, Tom Horn, Superintendent of Public Instruction, will join us. We just had a great conversation with Beth Lewis from Save Our Schools, Arizona. So opposing viewpoints on this will uh, allow time for the superintendent to explain his perspective on what's happening and why. That's coming up at 935. I want to go back to some of this with the border. Um, uh, Secretary Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, was on the border and had some conversations with the media about this. And he talked about this new Operation Blue Lotus. And it is an operation to focus on drugs at the border coming across into our country. Here's what he had to say about it. In its first week, Operation Blue Lotus has already resulted in 18 seizures, 16 federal arrests, and two state arrests, and stopped more than 900 pounds of fentanyl, over 700 pounds of methamphetamine, and over 100 pounds of cocaine from entering the United States. I will tell you that I'm going to give you an opposing viewpoint on what you're hearing. I, I, I applaud those numbers. Um, What we have to see is a reduction in death. We have to know that there is a reduction on the street and the availability of fentanyl. It's supply and demand like anything else. When the price begins to go back up because it's not as uh, available, then we'll know we're making a dent. And here's the comparison. Uh, In the late 1980s, early 1990s, when you were watching the DEA at the time shift its focus from marijuana to cocaine, um, there was a big shift when the Colombian cartels kind of took things over. It wasn't just marijuana anymore. They started trafficking in cocaine. There were huge seizures, and it's because there was so much cocaine that was still getting in. There's a great – if you want to see a great documentary about this foundation, about when this all started, go back and watch – I think it's on Amazon Prime. It is uh, called Cocaine Cowboys, and it's all about the early 80s through the early 90s and how the federal government had to respond. There was a turning point, and maybe this is it. There was a turning point when the federal government got serious about interdiction, and they were able to disrupt a lot of the um – the importation of the cocaine. Now, again, it took a long time. It took a concerted effort by a lot of federal agencies. If we are going to see this, if this Operation Blue Lotus isn't just some kind of a quick fix with a name attached to it, then I will applaud it because, again, I live in Arizona. I love this place, and I hate the fact that so much of this poison that's killing Americans is coming through our ports of entry. I take that personally, but to all of the families out there with kids that are terrified that the first time and we know kids experiment with drugs remember when you were in high school you weren't a druggie but how many times were you offered something smoking weed or something either you did or you didn't but you knew it was available to you now imagine what parents are enduring when their kids are going off to college or their kids are venturing out in high school to parties and having that conversation knowing that you mistake you make a mistake you do something stupid I'm going to try this it's no big deal and they're dying because of this poison and that is a real fear for parents. So is this going to be that operation like we saw the uptick happen when the narco-terrorists in the 80s? I hope that's the case. I really do. But it remains to be seen based on prior actions. So we'll get to that. Uh, More of this today as as the show goes on. Coming up in a few moments, I'm excited about this conversation. The superintendent of public instruction is going to join us. We are going to talk about possible changes to the ESA program. Uh, We just talked about that with Beth Lewis. But what are some of the proposed 
changes to try to fix the problems as this program rolled out. We'll do that coming up next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Making sure young people have the best basic education possible is the one thing we can do as adults to give them a head start and give them the possibility at success in life. I, The older I get, the more convinced I am that that is true. Earlier this morning, we had Beth Lewis on. She's the executive director of Save Our Schools Arizona. Had some harsh criticism of the Department of Education and some of the things they're doing. So joining us now is the Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tom Horn. Mr. Horn, I don't know if you heard my interview with Ms. Lewis, but let's start with the expansion of ESAs and some of the changes. How do you respond to some of what you heard? Well, um, this is the story with ESAs, Mike. I did hear the interview. Um, under my predecessor, Kathy Hoffman, both she and, and Beth Lewis were opposed to parental choice. They campaigned uh, the legislature passed a bill to give parents choice. They campaigned going door to door, getting signatures to try to put it on the ballot. And the person that I hired to run the program, Christina Curso, ran the effort to dissuade parents from signing those because parents really ought to have a choice if a, the school the child is in is not meeting their needs. Now, uh, as not supporting the program, they didn't enforce the law with respect to the program. So they were they were allowing non-educational expenses uh, 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 Beth Lewis mentioned a grand piano that was allowed by Kathy Hoffman's uh, administration they they allowed people to get away with using those debit cards in restaurants and clothing stores um, and my view when I took over said I'm going to enforce the law and I'm going to be sure the expenditures are for educational purposes because we are the first in the nation to empower parents and let them choose where their child goes to school. And the spotlight is on us. And so we have to be squeaky clean and do everything correct, correctly according to the law. And we need to be sure that expenditures are strictly for educational purposes. How Out do they... 50, 000, I'm sorry, go ahead. So how do, you, how do you assure that? What are some of the changes you're proposing to ensure that that happens? Because I think everyone involved would agree that that has to happen. It's, it, you, we can't abuse these programs. And if people are abusing it, it has to change. How can you fix it? Uh, uh, we're fixing it by making a list of those things that are allowable and those things that are not allowable. And we are not approving non-educational expenses, which which Beth Lewis's friend, Kathy Hoffman, approved because they were against the program. So they wanted to make it look bad. In fact, what would happen is they would approve something ridiculous like a grand piano. And somehow that information would get to Beth Lewis's organization, Save Our Schools, and they would put out a tweet saying, look how they're wasting your money with empowerment scholarships. They were wasting the money because they were against the program. They wanted to make it look bad. I want to make the program look good. I want it to be used only for proper educational expenses. And according to the law, as you know, Mike, I'm the former Arizona attorney general. We need to be strictly according to the law because the rest of the country is looking to us. And, and within Arizona, we want the program to to operate properly and not approve non-educational expenses or abuses. All right. So let's address a couple of the other things. Uh, are we are you, is your office or is this program because you're in charge of of implementing this? Are yes. debit cards going to go away for families that are using and getting this money through debit cards? Everyone who has a debit card and has and has not abused it gets to keep their debit card. That was like many things that were said earlier in your program. That was something that was completely untrue. 
We have not said we would take away their debit cards. We have said that it, that they are grandfathered, but we can't issue new debit cards because the program has expanded from 14,000 to 50,000 people, and we cannot pay within a reasonable time uh, if we have debit cards. There are four ways that people can get payments uh, on this program. There's a marketplace where, where they go online, and there are uh, there's stores that are on there that they can then we approve the expenditure and it's made. There's a direct payment. There's a reimbursement. There are, there are different ways to do the payments. The only one that is causes the problem has been the debit cards because they make the expenditure uh, without our approval. And so if we find they bought a grand piano or used it in a restaurant or in a clothing store, it's too late. It's not worth suing them over. Um, so... And, and the big problem is it takes so long to process the debit cards as opposed to the other ways of paying that we can't catch up. Uh, when we took office, there were 170,000 requests for payment that had not been processed by Kathy Hoffman's administration, uh, Beth Lewis's friend. And um, and some of them went back to June 2021, not June 2022, tw- June 2021 requests for payment that had not been processed. So we've worked very hard to catch up those payments. Uh, so that we want to pay within a reasonable time, but we can't do it if, if with, with the expansion of the program, everybody do gets debit cards. We've had four people call the department saying they can't afford to put out the money themselves. Christina Curso has spoken to the four of them. She's shown them where on Marketplace they can get it. And it hasn't been a problem at all. See, that was that's the only concern I had with that is that lower income families. And the reason why I was so in favor and am in favor of this expansion of ESAs is the ability for lower income families to have more choices in education. So the downside of so the downside of that that I was looking at was and it sounds like you answered the question. If lower income families had to float this money and they don't have it, it seems like they're going to pay a bigger price. But you're saying that there's places in the marketplace where they don't have to do that. Exactly, or or through direct payment. We have different ways for payment. We've had exactly, out of 50,000 people, we've had exactly four call to say they can't lay out the money for reimbursement. And and Christina Curso, who's running the program, has shown them exactly how to do it. Um, And so nobody is deprived of anything because they don't have money to, to lay out in advance. And this is the great thing about this program is it gives people with less money the same choices that people with a lot of money have always had to choose the best school for their child. And and, and your prior guest, Beth Lewis, uh, as along with Kathy Hoffman, campaigned against it and wanted to eliminate it so that people without money would not have choice. So if their child is in a school that's not serving the child's needs, they'd be stuck with it. And we're trying to empower parents of all income levels to make it possible for them to have the same choices that rich people have always had if they're not, if their child is not, needs are not being met in the school they're in, they have choices to find other schools for them. Superintendent of Public Instruction Tom Horn is joining us. Okay, then the last question is about something else she brought up, which is a reduction in requirement for education, that people with a high school diploma only will now be able to be tutors or teachers of children under the ESA program. How do you respond to that? Yes, the, the legislation says that companies that provide tutoring have to be accredited. Um, and... That was not enforced. So, so the parents were using companies that were not accredited because, as I've mentioned to you, uh, Kathy Hoffman and Beth Lewis don't want, didn't want to see it enforced in order to make it look bad. We are enforcing the rules. Now, if we were to all of a sudden where people have become reliant on people with a high school d- uh, diploma to tutor, say, no, they can't do that anymore, 
that that they have to have a college degree, that would be a terrible injustice. If the if the high school degree is not enough and you need a college degree, the parent will know that they they can choose what person they want to tutor their kids. But, uh, you know, I tutored when I was in high school and I learned more than the person I was tutoring because teaching is the best way to learn. Um, and, and certainly a person with a high school diploma can teach first and second grade arithmetic. Uh, uh, and and if, if the tutoring is needed for something more sophisticated than that, then the, the parent can say, no, I want someone with a college degree graduate. That's the whole point of empowering parents so that they can make the choice rather than Kathy Hoffman and Beth Lewis, who wanted to make it so parents would have no choice. They would be stuck in schools whether they were meeting their kids' needs or not. Well, this conversation is compelling. I know this is continuing because this is a work in progress. I hope you'll come back and let me know how these changes are impacting the ESA program and if it's improving and things are getting better. I hope you'll do that with us. Mike, I'll always come back even on short notice, and I hope you'll also have me back to answer the false things that were said about the Empower Hotline, which gives parents a chance to communicate. Yeah, they haven't had before. They went to school board meetings. They were treated rudely. We're giving parents a chance to communicate with us. And I will not be discouraged because of crank calls. They can send as many crank calls as they want. We're going to ignore them. We're going to focus on the calls that are legitimate. Uh, I'm a trial lawyer. I can't be intimidated by the idiocy of thinking they're going to put a stop to us with crank calls. Uh, Fair statement. I appreciate it as always. And we'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. That is Tom Horn, superintendent of public instruction and uh, pretty strong words, especially about that empower hotline. We'll see how these changes work. I'm still in favor of this program. I like the ESA program. Uh, We knew there were going to be growing pains coming out. The popularity shows with the over 50,000 people in the program. Now it is a popular program for parents, but it does need to be refined. And hopefully those changes are coming. Uh, What is intergenerational sex? It's an actual word. It's gross, but it's a word. We'll talk about it coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We're going to take up this topic of education as we move along in the show. We're going to talk more about this. If you missed my interviews with Beth Lewis from Save Our Schools, Arizona, and Tom Horn, the superintendent of public instruction, they'll both be up on the podcast later today. I suggest you go and listen to them. They were both very informational, two different sides of the same issue. Um, I pulled this today because of how absolutely gross I think this is. and it has to do with um, there is a there is a woman who is a historian, and um, uh, I'm looking to see if we have. And I guess I, I don't have the audio of her talking, but she is a historian, and she uses a phrase. She she wrote an op-ed piece complaining about the legislation in a lot of states that are keeping kids away from drag shows. Listen. I'm not a prude. I got no problem with drag shows. I don't care. We all know the difference between something that is sexual. You take your kids to the beach and your kids will see women in bikinis, sometimes very skimpy thong bikinis. Nothing wrong. I mean, it's just that's life. That's how it is when you go to the beach or you go to the pool. That's just the way life is. There is a difference between seeing a woman in a bikini at the swimming pool, at the club or at the beach and taking your child to a strip club and a woman in a bikini and high heel shoes is bumping and grinding on a pole to a song. We all know the difference. So if you would be um, appalled that your child was exposed to a strip show 
why is it okay in some people's minds for the drag show? That's just my feeling. But here is the, her op-ed piece in the Washington Post argued against Republicans wanting to ban drag shows to reinforce traditional hierarchies of race, class, sex, and gender. In writing a book, this is a quote from this woman. I didn't want to use pedophilia discourse because I felt like it would fail to capture this other historical organizing system for intergenerational sex, which was the topic I wanted to address. So it isn't child molestation. For everybody out there, for all of you freaks that want to prey upon kids, um, it is, it don't, you're not a child molester. It's like calling a rapist an uninvited partner. I want you to hear her. I want you to hear her. her name is Rachel Cleves. Uh, this is her talking about this. This is an ex- a contentious term because I think by the standards of our time, we don't see any possibility for sex between adults and children. We see it as rape, right, um, and not um, not falling within the framework of sex or sexuality. I don't use the discourse of survivors or necessarily abuse to make sense of the sources. So she uses the phrase intergenerational sex because we don't, you know, we don't necessarily, generally speaking, we don't accept, we call it rape when an adult has sex with a child. Well, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? But the, this uh, normalizing of sexual attraction to children. Now, everybody will tell you uh, for an adult to be attracted to a child is not a crime. Acting on that attraction is a crime. It it is. This is such. I'm so at a loss for words with this. How she and she made this leap. I didn't. One of the dangers that people have is whenever they are saying that they don't want children exposed to these kinds of things, they act. They call these people groomers and say because you're a drag doing a drag show in a school, you're grooming kids so that you can have sex with them. And I've never said that. I've never even introduced that thought. She did. So she won't call someone that has an adult that has sex with children a pedophile because of this topic, this uh, sexualizing children in any way, shape, manner or form. I don't I'll ask this question again, educators out there that think I'm being a prude on this. Why? Where else is it that an adult can talk to somebody's child about these sexual things and it's okay? Name another industry besides when they call themselves an educator. So if somebody in a drag show, I don't care who it is, somebody's dressed up like that with, you know, big fake boobs and is going to dance around and bump and grind in a thong. If they did it in a grocery store, they get thrown out of the grocery store. But if they do it in a school library, somehow that's freedom of speech and you're a prude if you say anything against it. It's absurd to me. Just after 10 o'clock, how did the meeting between China and Russian presidents end? And what was the promise made by President Xi that should have Americans concerned? We'll get to it. 